All right. So we live in a world where nothing seems certain, right? I mean, so our news media is dominated by politics that spins a story depending on which channel you look at, and it's a completely different story on one channel than the other. So there's no real certainty of what really happened in that case. Our economy is like a roller coaster. You know, sometimes we feel great about the direction it's going, and it's going real well, and then all of a sudden we see that 300-foot drop, and it's like, oh, man, everything is crashing down. We're about to plummet. Our world governments are not certain. You, we see, you know, things are pretty peaceful, and all of a sudden Russia just invades Ukraine. Right? I mean, so we have no certainty of what our governments are going to do, what our economy is going to do, what our media is going to do, and what our people are going to do. And we, we used to, uh, you know, I, I, our jobs are uncertain as I just found out recently with my ER closing down and having to look for a, a different job in that. Uh, we never know when we, need, we may need to look for another job. So, so nothing in this world is, is certain. And we used to, you know, used to be certain that there'd be toilet paper at the store, right? I mean, we used to be able to be certain until COVID-19, and we realized that maybe co- the toilet paper is not always going to be there. However, uh, in a correction of last week's sermon, we should not reuse Toilet paper. And if you didn't get that, you need to listen to last week's sermon. You know, rinse for use, recycle does not apply to toilet paper. I digress. All right, so I could go on for hours about the uncertainty we experience in our lives on earth. I mean, this side of eternity, there is so much uncertainty because our world is marred by sin, and anything that man has his hand in in this world is going to be uncertain because we're going to make bad choices. That's just part of how life works. Sounds pretty depressing. That's kind of a depressing start of a sermon, isn't it? It's like, oh, everything's uncertain. But in the midst of all this depressing news uh, of the uncertainty, we do have a hope that is certain, my friends. This is something that we can be certain about, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be certain that the gospel of Jesus Christ is accurate and true and dependable. There is no uncertainty in that. And we're going to be looking at this book of Luke as we we start to read about how he writes with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God God made flesh. So I just pray that you join me as we start this journey uh, of the longest book of the New Testament by volume of words, uh, if we're looking at Greek words there. So let's go ahead and dive in uh, to the first four verses. I'm not going to hit the whole first chapter in case you were wondering, but let's go ahead and get into it. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good also to, to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak through me, that it's your words and not mine that come through. Uh, Lord God, I pray that, that, that your word is, is spoken and preached clearly today. I pray that our minds are cleared from all the clutter that we are uncertain about, with whether it's our jobs, whether it's our families, whether it's you know, uh, our livelihoods, whether it's our finances, whether it's our, you know, whatever's coming up, whether it's being nervous about Thanksgiving and, and being around family, whether that excites us or makes us nervous, whichever one. Uh, whatever it is, may we, ca- we cast all that out of our minds right now and just focus on your word today. And may you help uh, sanctify us, make us more like you through, through your word, and be with us and help us to focus on it. We love you, Lord. Amen. 
So before we get started into this, I kind of want to give a little background information. So the book of Luke here was written likely during Paul's second imprisonment. We're probably looking at AD 60 to 62 is about when Luke and Acts were both written, which were both by Luke. Uh, and there's almost a universal consensus without argument that this book was written by the physician Luke. Uh, and, and the reason there would be any doubt is <coughs> because he didn't put his name in there. Um, however, it's very clear, all, like pretty much all scholars across the board, even going back to the second century, uh, have always said, have all said, hey, this was Luke that wrote this. We actually only see Luke's name three times in the entire Bible. And Paul writes about Luke three times. We have Colossians 4.14, he's called the beloved physician. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.11, where he alone is with Paul at the end of Paul's earthly life. And uh, in Philemon 24, where he's called a fellow worker with Paul. Uh, and we see in the book of Acts that he uses the word us a lot. Uh, so he's traveling with Paul and Silas much of their ministry. So, so we see that he's there. And we know that he was a Gentile and that he was a physician and that he traveled along with Paul, as we see in Acts. He was likely caring for that aged apostle who seemed to have many run-ins with town folks. Uh, the guy was beaten up far too regularly. And if you ever have the need for a personal physician to go with you when you go places because you get beat up that much, that's a rough life. I'm just going to say, we've we got to give Paul some props. Uh, and we've got to give Luke some props for bandaging him up every other day, it seems like, uh, through that. Um, and it should be noted that Luke is the most thorough of all the New Testament authors. And I mean, not that I'm biased being a physician myself, but, but Luke is quite detailed. He's a quite detailed fellow as we look at what he wrote here. He only wrote two of the 27 books of the New Testament, only two of them. Yet by volume, he wrote the most Greek words of anyone in the New Testament. And you're like, wait a minute, didn't Paul write a lot of books? Well, he wrote 13 of the 27, and Luke still outwrites him by words if we're looking at, at Greek words. So he is very thorough. Luke writes what is approximately about 27.5% of the words of the New Testament. So we see his attention to detail, even in this first chapter, that is 80 verses. If you really look at it, 80 verses for this first chapter. And, and no, we're not going to go four verses at a time, because that may take us the rest of our life to get through this, uh, through this book. But I just wanted to make sure we had a good background before we jumped in head first. And so we'll actually, actually move pretty quickly through this first chapter, because we want to get to the birth narrative for Christmas, which is coming up soon. So now, now that we have some background, let's go ahead and dive into these actual four first verses. And we're going to learn uh, why we should believe the gospel. And number one, we should believe the gospel because it is accurate. Because it is accurate. I'm going to reread the first two verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning uh, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, who have delivered them to us. So you're going to see as we break down these four verses that there isn't a period until the end of verse 4. It's pretty impressive. This is a pretty impressively long first sentence. And, and we can see that Luke has a great grasp of the Greek language. Most people can't write a sentence like this. Paul, you can see he also has this ability to write a sentence that lasts forever. And, and what it showed was that they were very learned men. They, they knew the language well. They were very intelligent men. And, and, and he kind of starts off with this hammer, you know, at, at the beginning with this eloquent sentence to let people know, hey, this is an accurate book. I paid attention to detail. I, I, I'm writing excellently. Uh, and he starts off by saying that many have undertaken uh, the, trying to compile a narrative. This doesn't mean there were a ton of people that tried to write it, but what it means is that everyone that was out there, he got his hands on. 
You know, and he, he was looking for every manuscript out there. Uh, obviously, we see that he likely reviewed the writings of Mark and Matthew, who wrote before him. Uh, he, he, he was well-read, or pardon the pun, well-versed in uh, what was out there at that point. Uh, and then he compiled all of this data into his book, and he's providing a complete narrative that is accurate. And then he goes even further, and he says that he, he interviewed who in verse 2? It says, from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So, so he, he, he interviewed eyewitnesses. And you're like, well, why does he feel the need to let us know that he interviewed eyewitnesses? So Matthew doesn't say he interviewed eyewitnesses. Why? Because he was one. So, so Matthew didn't need to kind of give this background of, hey, I'm well-studied, I'm well-read, I've done all this stuff. Luke, Luke comes to faith after Christ has already died and rose. So, so Luke needs to say, hey, I just want to let you know, I talked to these guys. I talked with Matthew. I talked with Mark. I talked with Peter. I, I, you know, I hung out with Paul and, and Timothy and Silas. You know, I, I, was, I interviewed the eyewitnesses who, who saw Christ on earth, who, who saw him die, who saw him rose from the dead. I, I'm not just going after Joe Schmo on the street. I have compiled this from eyewitnesses. And then he doesn't just stop there. So he's, he's interviewed eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And so that ministers can be also preachers of the word. So we're looking at people like Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Peter and different ones that he has interviewed. Um, and this word word here, uh, either the word word or word of God is a common theme in, in Luke's book. And it, and it refers to, this, to, this, to the gospel. Uh, they, they're preachers of the gospel when we're looking at that. He actually uses those, those terms 40 times in his two books. He really likes to talk about the gospel. Um, so he was very, he was influenced by primary eyewitnesses, ministers of the word. He wasn't just the guy that said, hey, I just want to study this. He was a part of the movement as well. So he's, he's in these situations that are tough. He, as we saw in the end of 2 Timothy, he was the only one that was with Paul at the end of Paul's life, still there. So he has staying power. He's not running like we see some other people run when, when adversity hits. And so he, he wanted to make sure that he gave a, a accurate compiled thing here uh, for, for, for a, both Theophilus, which we're going to get to, and for us. And we see that also that, that this wasn't just from his hard work. Yes, Luke was a diligent man. He, he, was very, uh, he paid attention to detail. He, he, he wanted to write an accurate thing, but we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And we know that all Scripture was written by the Holy Spirit who used men to write it. And, and we've, we've talked about this before, Second Peter 1, 20 through 21, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's very important that we see that Luke is thorough, that he's not a slacker, that, that he's giving it, you know, everything he has, that he's done a very thorough job of interviewing but it's also really important for us to know that this is the inerrant word of God. So, so we, we don't prove the, the accuracy of God's word by things like all of these things that Luke gives us here. It's, it's great to have that, but we know it's God's word because God wrote it. It's the word of God. How, how amazing is that? And so Luke does feel this need to, to establish himself as accurate and legitimate and to let you know that he wasn't just interviewing fringe people. He was truly writing the word of God. Now, friends, we can know that this book is, is accurate. And, and the word accurate actually means conforming to the facts and without error. So we, we can know that this is it's inerrant, the, the inerrant, inerrant word of God. There's nothing here that we need to be like, oh, that's, that's not right. We know that it is accurate. 
because it is the gospel. It, and it talks about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So we can believe that it is accurate. Next, number two, we should believe the gospel because it is personal. We should believe the gospel because it is personal. Let me re read verse three again. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theologian Daryl Bach, I, I really want to kind of go through these four characteristics on this next slide here, that, that he kind of talks about Luke's approach to the task, kind of goes a little bit even into the last point to start this one off. And he says that he investigated or followed the account. So, so he was thorough in his work, which we've talked about. He went back to the beginning, as we see, for some he talks about some time past. So he's been, he's been going from the top down. You know, I've heard, if you heard people say he's taking a top-down approach, that means that he was thorough with what he did, or she was thorough in what she did. Hey, from the top down, didn't miss anything, was thorough in that approach. And so we see that he was that. And then he studied all things. So we see everything. So there wasn't anything that he didn't look at. Uh, there wasn't something under the thing that was just hidden from him. The Holy Spirit revealed everything he needed to know to write this book. And number four, he did his work carefully, which we see the word closely. He's following closely. He wasn't haphazard in how he followed. He was, he was thorough, and he was close, and he was complete with it. But not only was he diligent in his work, as we've been talking about really since the last point, but he was also orderly with his work. And, and, and so we see that word order, to write an orderly account for you. And this Greek word for orderly is kathex aced, which means in sequence of time or space or logic. And, and if you really study this book really, really hard, you're going to see that, that most of this book is in sequence of time. Uh, and so, so we, it's this happens and this happens, this happens. But there are a couple of, of, of exceptions that are in logical order. And some people will be like, oh, that proves that this book is not accurate because there's some areas that, that maybe are flashbacks or or fat flash forwards, uh, where it's not an exact time sequence, so Luke must have dropped the ball. But, but I, I want to let you know, Greek language, first off, that, that's the way that Greek, Greek people wrote a lot of times, in logical sequence as well. But we even write that way today. I mean, if you read a history book, so let's, let's just think about a book on a war. And during that war, there's multiple battles. Well, if you read a history book that, that had two battles the exact same day, uh, and like two battles the exact same day there, and this happened at 11 o'clock, and this happened at 11.15, and this happened at 11.30, and it, it, they kept going back and forth between the battles. Oh, yeah, this enemy did this, and this did this, and this did this. You have no idea what was going on. So what do our history books do? They talk about the one battle, and they go straight through that one, and they talk about the next battle. And so it's in logical order as well as in complete order. Hopefully I don't keep breaking up. We've had that before. Uh, let's hold that up here maybe a little bit. There we go. We'll see how it goes. All right. I think that is, we're going in and out. Okay. Um, so kind of continuing, we, we see that this is a personal account as well. So we, we've talked about how it's orderly, that, that he's went, went with order. But then we see this for you, most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. So who is this? Theophilus. Uh, so so I, first I want us to kind of know that the, the Word of God is, is personal. The gospel is personal. We talked about this a little bit last week. You're not saved because your mom's saved. You're not saved because your spouse is saved. You're not saved because your kids are saved. You're not, the, the gospel is a personal thing. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We must 
confess our sins, admit that we're sinners, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is fully God, fully man, that he came, came down to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. We have to have that personally. And we see here that this is a personal book. It's a personal gospel. It's written to this guy named Theophilus. And so we have that blessing of a personal gospel as well. And this is a, quite the greeting, most excellent or, or most noble Theophilus. And it, it's made many think that Theophilus might have been a chief magistrate of some sort uh, or another important government official. Uh, and with a name like Theophilus, which means friend of God, speculation on who this guy was is astronomical if you read through commentary. So some of these speculations are, are this. Some think his name was a pseudonym because he wanted to hide his name because there was some persecution going on. Uh, others think, hey, no, it definitely was his name. His name was Theophilus. Others think that Theophilus, Theophilus funded some of Luke's research and, and helped the ministry some, was a sponsor, while other, others think Theophilus was a doubter of the faith, and Luke wrote this to prove the gospel and, and to fill in the cracks that were there. And to add to this drama, many commentaries, when you read, they speak very confidently about what they don't know. And, and, and you just read this, and it's like, oh, this is exactly right. Like, they spoke, they just say it as fact, and then you look at another one, it says in fact, and I realized it's really easy to get lost in the weeds. We have no idea who Theophilus was. I'm just going to be honest. We have no idea who he was. But that's not what really matters when we read this book. Theophilus isn't the main subject of this book. He's in the greeting, and we see him in the greeting of Acts as well. So this was a legitimate man that, that was there, and who he was, we don't know. But what we know is that Jesus Christ is the subject of this book. He is the, the main character of this book. And, and so we don't want to get lost in that. And, and we want to see that really what, what, what this teaches us is that the gospel is personal that the gospel is a personal gospel, and we have a personal God. And I'm just going to read a few verses that talk about how wonderful our personal God is. Revelation 3.10, or 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. Like an intimate friend, he knocks on the door, wanting to spend time with you, to come and eat with you. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Our God wants to sing over us and rejoice over us, those who are his, those who have put their faith and trust in him. And just think, this is actually an Old Testament verse from a prophet. I mean, how amazing is that? Then we go to Matthew 11.28-29. through 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He wants to personally remove your burdens. He wants to personally have a relationship with you and show you grace and mercy. How beautiful is that? And fi finally, Jeremiah twenty three twenty three, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God, a God far away? So our God is a God who is near. He is a God who is intimate and personal and desires a personal relationship with you. How amazing is that? He is intimately involved in your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what you think. He knows what every, every single thing that you've done in your entire life, and yet he still loves you, and he still desires a relationship with you. How amazing is our God? Sadly, there's, there's so many in our world that continue to hold to a false belief that God just wound up creation and let it go like a music box. And this false teaching is called deism, and you'll hear a lot of people talk about deism, frankly, some even in the churches, which are, which are really sad. Uh, and the most common illustration you see is actually the clockmaker. 
uh, illustration where, where it, you know, he's the, God is the clockmaker. He winds the clock and he lets it go. And, and that's how things go from then on. And he's not involved any further with it. My friends, there is nothing further from the truth of that. God is sovereignly involved in each and every situation. He knows everything, and he's intimately involved and in control of everything. And I get how we look around, and we're like, how is God in control? Look at what is going on in this world. How is he in control? My friends, he takes every single thing, and as I guess we're going to learn in growth group uh, coming up, he's going to use it for your good if you're in Christ. Romans 8, 28. I mean, how, how amazing is that, that, that when you look at this the chaos in our world and, and the sin and the horrible things that are going on. If you are in Christ, everything's going to work out for your good and eternity. And we, we miss that sometimes because we see just very nearsighted. And if you're nearsighted, that means you can see near, but you can't see far. I'm one of those people. Without my contacts, I would just see, be seeing a bunch of blur out there, and I'd be, I have no idea who's here or what's going on. And that nearsighted means you, so, so you can see close, but you, can, you can't see far away. And we have to realize that we are spiritually nearsighted. You know, we, we see close, and we see our own lives, and we see it looks real clear to see all the, all the things that are going on in our life, like our kids aren't doing this, or our family's not doing this, or this is what's going on, or our jobs are this. And so we see that so clearly. We see all of those things so clearly. But what we don't see is the far end. We, we don't see eternity. God sees eternity. And so God knows that, that, yes, maybe these struggles are happening right now, but he is going to take that and he's going to glorify himself, and he's going to do it for your good. And, 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 you're, and when you look back, there's some things, there's some of those no's that you've had in your life where you prayed really hard for something, and you're like, God just doesn't hear me. He doesn't care. You know what, I, I really wanted to, you know, do this, and, and God just, man, he didn't answer me. No, he answered you. He answered you no, and, and, and you just didn't like that answer. Uh, and, and that oftentimes is, is the case. But know that his no's are so much nicer than any yes that somebody else may give you, that, that, that his no's are perfect and they're right, and we need to trust him because he is intimately involved and he sees the whole thing. My friends, have you experienced that personal God? Have you put your faith and trust in the personal God? Do, do you know what it's like to have a relationship with him? And if not, I pray that today is the day of salvation for you, as we see in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the time for salvation. Finally, number three, we, we should believe the gospel because it's certain. We should believe the gospel because it is certain. Let me read verse two here. Or sorry, verse four. That you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Wow. I love that verse. That you may have certainty, and that's why I entitled this entire sermon after this verse here. The certainty of the gospel. If you recall, in our last verse, we saw Luke mention Theophilus. And we're not sure who Theophilus was. And again, we don't know if he was a believer, if he was, you know, not quite sold completely, whether he was supporting whatever was going on. But we know that he knew something about the gospel because this Greek word taught here is katheo, which often is means they're informed about something. He was informed about the gospel. Whether he was a believer or not, we don't know. But he was very informed about it. But Luke wanted to prove with absolute certainty that the gospel was accurate. My friends, are you certain of the gospel? Uh, do, do you need to be proved what, that it's true? Or do you truly believe that it is certain? The word certain actually means to be established beyond doubt or question. 
and to be indisputable. Do you believe that it's indisputable? Do you, do you believe that it's beyond doubt or without question? And as Luke writes this book, he understands the pressure that Theophilus and other believers that would follow after him were going to have. There would be persecution. There was going to be difficult situations, difficult theology to understand why God allows bad things. In a world full of uncertainty, Luke is providing encouragement and certainty to believers here. So Luke provides the certainty in his other book, Acts, as well. Acts 4.12, he says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Can you think of a more certain response than that? There's no other name that the man may be saved. No other name than Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we think of John 14, 6, which says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see, obviously, Luke is very certain as well of the gospel. And finally, we see one more certainty here. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. My friends, I understand there can be a lot of difficulty in this world know that a lot of us may be even hardened by the uncertainty we've experienced. Some of us have mothers or fathers that, that said things with certainty and promised things that never came through. Some of us may have a spouse that did the same thing that never came through. Some of us have bosses that promised that raise, but that never actually come through. You know, so we live in this world where we get really hard because they don't come through. Things don't go the way we think they should go. They speak with certainty, but, but they don't. But whatever you face in this life, we can know that the gospel is certain and it's indisputable. And Luke is seeking to, to let us know that. As we come to a close, I, I wanted to reflect on the truthfulness and the reliability of the gospel for a moment. You know, many, many doubt the truthfulness of the gospel. And, and sadly, even in our mainline denominations, I, I hear countless evangelistic outreaches that, that continue to talk about They'll interview Baptists, Methodists, or different mainline denominations even, and they'll ask them questions like, is Jesus the only way? Is he sufficient? And they'll, they'll say no. You know, They'll have a deistic worldview. Uh, or, or they'll talk about, is the Bible inerrant? And they'll say, oh, and there's probably errors in that. It, it's just so sad that even among our churches, there's, there's doubt about these things. But my friends, as we go through this book of Luke, you know, I pray that we get an even more certainty of the gospel, uh, that, that we have even more certainty of it. And we, we see here that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, number one, it's accurate, meaning it's reliable and it's true. How amazing is that? Uh, number two, it is personal, meaning that it is relevant and it's active. And last, it is certain, meaning that it is indisputable and beyond doubt. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, help us to be reminded of the certainty of your word. Help us be to re reminded of how great that you are, how lovely that you are, how dependable that you are. And God, as we go through this great book of Luke, I pray that we, we grow in our faith, we grow in our certainty of the gospel, that any doubt that we may have in our, in our minds and our hearts may be dispelled by your word. God, we thank you. We praise you so much for this wonderful day. If anyone here does not know you, they, they do not have, have a certain belief of you. 
And I'd love to talk with them after the service and, and tell them what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God, thank you so much for your death on the cross, for taking our sins that we deserved, the punishment that we deserved. God, you took on the cross for us. And, and by putting our faith in you, repenting of our sins, or turning from our sins, we may have salvation. We know that that salvation is found in you and you alone. And we thank you for that, God. Uh, Lord, uh, just pray, I pray that throughout this, this week of Thanksgiving that we can really reflect on the number one thing we need to be thankful for, and that is you, uh, what you did for us on the cross. There is nothing that we should be more thankful of than, than you saving our lives, God. So God, help us to go throughout this week thanking you, giving thanks, loving you, and praising you for what you did for us, Lord. We love you, thank you, and uh, we just pray that our lives bring you glory. Amen. Have a blessed week.